Hey there, everybody. This is uh, Mike here, one of your co-hosts on the Conquering Columbus podcast. And uh, usually we'd have Josh and Tim here with me, but, uh, you know, with everything going on, it's been tough for us to link up to record these introductions for you. So I'm sorry, but you're stuck with me for now. Uh, <laughs> that being said, we're uh, interviewing a great guest today in this episode. It's Mike Edwards, the owner of the Five Stones Group, and he's also an award-winning cinematographer and director, uh, including 11 Emmys, which is pretty incredible. And uh, he's got a ton of great stories. He's been all over the world for his documentaries and, and his work. He's actually even worked with uh, one of our previous guests, Greg Bixler, over Design Outreach. But Mike's got a lot of great advice and he's done a lot of great work. But he's one of the biggest things he emphasizes is that having great people around him was always something that helped him to succeed. So really, really enjoyed talking to Mike. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode as well. That's all I got for you today. And uh, we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that. Live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believed in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Olman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today, and that goal stays the same 24 7, 365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. We got Josh over there. Josh, how you doing this morning? Afternoon. Oh, evening. Definitely, definitely afternoon. <laughs> so much better than you, I think. Oh, yeah, I'm doing I'm a little well. lost. Yeah, I'm doing well, dude. Just, uh, you know, a lot going on today. I was traveling. I was in the beautiful city of Elkhart, Indiana today. You ever been to Elkhart? I may have driven through it. Well, there you go. Well, that mystery voice out there that you're hearing is Mr. Mike Edwards. And Mike is the founder of the Five Stones Group. And he's an 11-time Emmy Award-winning director and cinematographer. Mike's background in production was inspired by a hobby of taking still photos with a camera he received from his parents while in sixth grade. And his passion for storytelling and the team atmosphere he creates has been one of the hallmarks of his career. As he was worked, he has worked with many of the world's most respected brands. Mike is also the director of the Emmy Award-winning PBS documentary Searching for Augusta. And Mike and his family li live here in Gahanna, Ohio. Uh, Mike has also worked with one of our previous guests, Greg Bixler, and Design Outreach in a documentary about their work, which is how we actually got introduced to him. So we're really excited to have Mike on the show to talk with us about his story and everything he's working on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Mike. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's really exciting to have you here. And uh, one of the first places we actually like to start is just to get to know a little bit more about you, your background. So you grew, you grew up in Columbus, right? Yeah, I grew up in Westerville. Yep. So lived there all my life and uh, went to school in Indiana for college and then, then came back to Columbus. Okay. And why'd you go to Indiana? I went to college on a golf scholarship. 
Um, so I was recruited to play golf. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't realize what golf uh, was like in the spring in Indiana. Uh, so <laughs> it was nice it was, and warm, right? Yeah, no, not so much. But no, it was it was fine. Uh, played there for uh, a couple of years, and then decided to kind of phase that out. Actually, I, I didn't play all four years, and then uh, decided to focus a little bit more in my career, uh, and then came back to Columbus. Any siblings or anything? I am an only child. Just, just me. My wife's family is a big family, so it was interesting when she and I met each other in high school. Just you know, being around a big family, I'm like, whoa, you know. <laughs> but no, it's been great. I mean, love, love her family, and you know, they've adopted me, and it's been great. Do you, do you like that dynamic? Because I talk to a lot of people who, so I grew up in very much similar situation to you, where it wasn't like a large family run, and then my best friend's family, I started to grow up a little bit. It would growing up it had huge family, like constantly people around fighting 24 seven. They hated it. They always would get so mad. They're always fighting with each other. And I would just sit in the corner and watch. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, it felt, to me, that was like love. And it's fine. As I'm like, I'm like, he just punched him in the face, but they're going to eat food together later, you know? Yeah, it was definitely an interesting dynamic when I first entered it, you know? And I was like, what is all this about, you know? And, but quickly got used to it and just, I love them to pieces now. It's, it's great. So in the bio, we mentioned that you got handed a camera in sixth grade and that's yeah. kind of what started the whole thing towards cinematography and all of that. What do you think drew you to the, like when you got that camera, was it just, hey man, this just fits or was there anything particular about it that drew you to it? Well, when I got the camera, I was in, in junior high and high school really involved in our church's youth group. And so um, we you know, had youth events every week. And so I would basically take pictures, slide film, and I'd put together these elaborate slideshows. So I'd stack like three projectors together and I'd sync it all to music and I just watched what people's reaction was to it. They loved it. And I was like, wow, I mean, this that's amazing that you could impact people that way. But I didn't really think about it as a career. I just was like, this is cool and this is a great hobby and I make people feel good and that's awesome. you know. And then I went to school and I thought, well, I maybe want to play golf as a career. And I kind of got to my sophomore year and realized I was good, but I wasn't that good. And there's a difference. Um, and so I just kind of phased that out and focused a little bit more on the career. And I was enrolled in the mass communications school there and a professor uh, there kind of took me under his wing and just kind of showed me what the possibilities were. And just kind of from there, I just said, well, maybe this is something that, you know, I could build on from what I was doing in high school and junior high and make a career out of it. So that's what I decided to do. So you get done with college and you, and you go where from there? So I was interning here in Columbus at a production company called Horizons, which still is in existence. Let's see, my senior year of college, I interned there over the Christmas break and then the following summer and just called him back up and said, hey, I'm, gra you know, I'm graduating. I need a job. You know, can I come back? And I literally started, you know, at the lowest level, production assisting, you know, carrying coffee and just started at the bottom, which is, you know, kind of where in our industry, our industry is such an apprenticed trade. You know, you, you learn around other people and you kind of grow and move up the ranks. And so that's, that's where I began. Our first sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. The question I have is, right, I've always been curious with industries like that where you have to start like getting other people coffee and doing all that sort of thing because it seems like that would be very much on 
the intern or the individual that was actually getting that job to ask a lot of questions and just observe everybody around them to learn before they could get that next job. So were people willing to answer questions or was it more of a, as you're getting coffee, you're just absorbing information? I think the the great part of the atmosphere at Horizons where I started was that there was people there that were willing to mentor, um, that were willing to take somebody like me under their wing and really show them the ropes. And when questions were asked, you know, at appropriate times and whatever, that answers were given. And so I really, that's where I learned. I mean, you can learn all the book knowledge that you want in school, but in our business, it really comes down to doing it and being around people that do it and do it well. And so I had a great mentor, Tim Corliss. Uh, I remember, you know, was one of my mentors and he just answered questions and just from there, just, you know, worked, worked my way up. So it's interesting, and I don't know how you'd categorize it. I mean, you probably have a much better word with me, whether you're going to say it's like arts or creative uh, profession, but, you know, it's something where it's not like you're walking into sales, you're walking into accounting, or you have this very defined profession where people in those areas, they they tend to gravitate more towards understanding the importance of mentorship. And I'm just going to find someone who's the best in the world at doing what I want to do and learn everything I can and surround myself with those people. But you, you go into areas like sales or accounting or something, nobody says like, you know, I just, I got done with accounting and I found the best accountant in the world and I just followed him around. So what I appreciate is the, is the value that's placed on mentorship and the ability to learn from others. Um, and you know, you learn that in athletics growing up too, you find the best people in the world at golf or wrestling, whatever you want to do. And then you just mimic everything about them and, exactly. and try to try to be around them as much as possible. So I think that's interesting, but not really a question. I'm, I'm curious though, as you grew and you evolved your career and you stayed there, how long did you stay there? And at what point did you decide that a move was appropriate for you? So I was there from 95 to 98, uh, left there, uh, went over to another production job uh, here in the Columbus area at a television station, was there for a while, and then took some time off and then uh, decided to start my own company, the Five Stones Group. So we started the Five Stones Group in 2002. And what made you want to start your own production company? I really didn't at the first part of it. I mean, I, a couple people came to me and said, you know, you really need to, to start, you know, start a company. I said, no, that, no, that I'm not your guy, <laughs> you know, um, it's not, you know, that's not my thing, you know? And they were like, no, you really need to think about this. And I said, well, you know, I'll think about it, but I know what my answer is going to be, you know? And so a couple of, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, I had lunch with the same people that were you know, graciously offering to help fund the company as well. And I said, look, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I said, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, um, but I think this is something that, you know, I, I, I'll give it a try. And so we ended up starting the company and it was a card table in my basement with a cell phone, <laughs> you know, and that was, was it just you at the time. Yeah. It was just me. Why, why did they think you were, cause it, that's, 180 degree different dynamic than like any person probably who's listening to this trying to start a company right now. They're begging people to give them money. And and for you, like, why did they think that you're so special? I don't know. I mean, I, I think we were the, the two individuals, the silent partners that I had knew people that knew me. And so I think there was uh, an existing reputation there that they knew. And so I, I, they were just interested in starting a company of their own, I think, or doing media production, but but they didn't have the skill sets to actually do it. I mean, they needed somebody like me who knew how to direct and edit and shoot and all those types of things. So, I mean, I, I just think it was providential. I do. 
I mean, it was just, it was at a time in my life where I was at a crossroads in a lot of areas. And I just, I just, I just think it was honestly providential. I do, you know, and uh, they believed in me and I'm ever grateful to them for helping me start the firm. So, so what does that growth track look like? And, and sometimes we talk about zero to one. So I mean, you talked about, you know, a card table on a phone that might be as simple as, but then how does it, how does it grow from there? And how do the cards begin to fall into place? No pun intended. Well, I mean, my mom called me, I think I was talking with my mom one day and she said, do you have any clients? I said, no, <laughs> I don't. But these people keep giving me money. Yeah. So I, think- <laughs> I, I don't have any clients. And, you know, I think it was, I honest, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I think it was in the first couple of weeks of when we started the firm. And <clears throat> I was talking to some people and she said, well, I have a, a friend of mine who was in the agency world in New York. Maybe she would be willing to help you. I said, well, I'll take anything right now. So I called her up and her name is Penny and she uh, owned a very large agency in New York. And I called her and I said, Penny, this is Mike Edwards. And I said, my mom, you and my mom were best friends in high school. I said, mom told me to give you a call. And she's like, oh my gosh, she goes, I'm so glad you called. And she goes, I held you as a baby. And I'm like, you did? And she's like, yeah. And she goes, what do you, what do you need? And I'm like, well, I, I've started this production company and I, 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 I need some clients and I just need some work. She goes, well, come to New York and, and we'll show you, I'll show you around and introduce you to everybody. And I'm like, okay. So we did that. And um, the rest is history. I mean, we, I literally started my first job was she introduced me to a, a woman whose name is Catherine Reed, uh, who owned a production company. And one of her clients was Canon, the people who make cameras. And we ended up doing a job for her and literally have not stopped for 18 years. So so how does the two questions that I'm, I'm curious about as I'm wrapping my head around, how does it grow from the types of work that you're doing? And how does it grow from an employee count? How did you know when to hire certain people? Did that just kind of evolve naturally? Um, you know, we when we started, it was just me. And, you know, when the recession hit in 2007 and 2008, that impacted our business greatly. And so I've always tried to keep the company fairly small. And the way we operate our business is we have a core team of people that's you know W-2'd employees for us. And then I bring people on and off based upon projects. So we're a very project-based company. I've always believed that the kind of company that I wanted to develop was very customized based upon the project. So a job that we do for Sony is a different set of people and personalities and skill sets than a job that we would do for Google. And so I wanted to be able to not just have to pull constantly from the same resource pool, but really customize our teams. And I'm very upfront about that when I talk to the clients that we do. This is who we are. This is how we operate. And they're like, great. As long as you're delivering it on time and on budget and you know it's great work, we don't really care how it gets done, You know how the sausage gets made. Um, but that's, that's how I've structured the firm and, you know, continue to this day to operate that way. And it, it works for us in the kinds of work that we do. That's very common. It's not outside the norm. That's how a lot of companies work. I've been able to be, keep our agility high and to be able to respond quickly, um, and efficiently. And I think that's honestly, that's been one of our competitive advantages. Because we're the outsiders, right? So, you know, we're looked at this company from Ohio that is out there in the cornfield somewhere, you know, and these agencies in New York. And I've asked them consistently, I'm like, do I need to be here? You know, because my wife and I have talked about that extensively. 
And they're like, no, we kind of like you. You're kind of the dark horse. You know, you're kind of over here and we bring you in when we need to. And, you know, so it it's really surprisingly it's worked well for us. And, you know, that's just how we've done what we've done. Well, what about the types of work? How has that grown? Are there milestones? I mean, I know like to reflect back on all the years you've been doing this, it's got to be hard to talk about in terms of generalities. Hey, tell me, tell me how the work evolved, you know, because everything mm-hmm. for you probably seems like it, it just gets smashed down to do a short time frame. I mean, th- we, that's one of the things I like about what we do is we do so many different types of things. We've been fortunate to not get pigeonholed into one specific silo of work. Sometimes production companies like ours are, you know, well, they only do healthcare. They only do big box retail. We have a very diverse silos of business that we've worked in. And so really it's just been down to the agency relationships that I've developed and just meeting their needs. I mean, and they do all different types of work as well. So we've really just developed those relationships and whatever the jobs are, we kind of mold and adapt. And sometimes there's jobs that, you know, some people ask us to do them and like, that's really not us. That's probably not suited for us. We'll pass on that. It's really kind of all over the map in terms of the kinds of work that we do. And I'm, I'm really not, when I'm out there marketing, I'm not saying, well, you know, I only want to do this, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty wide and diverse, so. But you are well known for you know some of your documentaries, right? So is mm-hmm. everything like in terms of for those of us who don't know the media world or the you know the communications world outside of documentaries, what other types of work are you doing? We kind of have split our company up into two focuses. So our first focus is the agency work that we do, and the documentary work that we do. So we try to. Um, we try to spend some time over here on the documentary stuff and we try to spend some time over here on the corporate stuff. So that's really how we've split up the company. Um, we're, we're, it's interesting during this whole COVID thing, we've actually in the last six, 16 weeks, we've actually been the, the busiest we've ever been, which has been shocking to me. Um, cause there's so many people that are out of work or haven't, you know, don't have work. So, it's really satisfying for me because we have probably five, six permalancers that I call them that work with us on a continual basis that some of them ha- just haven't had work. So for me, it's a great thrill. The busier I can be, the more work I can give them and hire them you know, to work with us, to help them feed their families. So that to me has been super exciting. It's been interesting because it's been very stressful. But a lot of the things that we're doing, our agencies are asking us to do are more video based simply because of just things that that they have to work that way. Um, So events like huge events that people are used to being physically in person doing aren't happening. So all of that has to be turned into video content, you know, so our business in this particular time has just boomed. So it's been it's been an interesting ride for sure. So some of the questions I'm going to ask might come across a little silly because I'm really ignorant about the industry. So hopefully <laughs> okay. I'm going to try to spin them to sound intelligent as possible. That's really my only goal when we go through these interviews is how, how smart can I make myself sound? <laughs> and I usually fail. So when I we're talking about the documentary side and the agency side, my assumption is that the documentary side isn't as high of margin, but mainly a brand driver and grow your reputation, win an Emmy off of it if you're good. And that drives the agency work that has the high margin. Is that true or is that not true? Yeah, it's definitely not as high of margin for sure. It's more of a passion for me. I've always wanted to 
do the content development side. And so we really, probably about eight years ago, really began to try to focus our business more in that direction. I've learned a ton, um, been through a couple of processes in distribution. So now every project that we do, we're getting a little smarter and a little smarter and a little smarter. Um, We're actually working, I have two other partners, we're working on a eight one-hour so eight episodes, each episode is one hour on the history of board games. So we've partnered with a number of people. Uh, Hasbro is working with us on that. So that that has been, you know, we started off doing, and we still do, you know, one single episode, one hour docs that was, uh, you know, for PBS, which we're still doing. And now we're expanding into multi-part series. I'm just trying to diversify a little bit on that. But yeah, so the... That particular one, uh, the board game one, I think will, if we do it right, will probably be a pretty decent margin. But you know, those are those are a little bit longer burn in terms of the development of those. So the corporate work that we do, you know, supplements those, and if we can get a good, you know, re- result financially on that, great. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. On the documentary side of things, when you think about it, right, like we see personally, maybe I just haven't been looking mm-hmm. in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, but in the last five to seven years, I feel like Netflix, Hulu, all these applications have blown up with documentaries Mm -hmm. and you've always seen them on TV, but it seems like documentaries have been kind of pulled more to the forefront, I guess. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's true or do you think it's about the same as what? So yeah, it is. Yeah. The documentary genre has definitely uh, absolutely expanded for sure. I think people are looking, I I think one of the reasons why is people are looking for authenticity. There's so much, not that social media isn't this way, but you know, they're looking for something real and something concrete. I love true stories. Uh, that's just something I like. So I think the distribution opportunities have increased, and I think the storytelling mechanisms have increased. So I think that's why you've seen more of that. And you know, plus people just like them. You know, so it's been a very popular, popular genre, and just continues to grow. Do you think that? So this, sorry, this is going to be this is not on the outline. Uh, but I'm curious. Do I don't you, think any of my questions have been on the outline, so no. maybe I should apologize. <laughs> That's too, okay. Right? Uh, hopefully, but, I'm not. Hopefully, I'm saying things. No, it's, it's been great so far. But I guess now I'm at thinking of a question that I wouldn't have thought of before, which is: there's not only there's the, there are more documentaries, but there's also a lot of different kinds of documentaries. And I'm not going to name names here, but I feel like there's some documentaries on some silly mm-hmm. stuff out there. Do you think that that harms documentaries, or do you think that there's anything out there that you know, in terms of the content that people are putting out, right? Not all of it is, it's kind of like, you know, eye grabbing, right? Like people still, it's the need for eyeballs and the mm-hmm. need for like, what's the word I'm looking for? Clickbait, basically, well, right? Like, Doesn't it still feel like, at least to me from from watching the outside, I, I think I get where you're going. And right. for me, it does seem like there's a sense of credibility. And I forget, we were just talking about this the other day, but when, when any type of media puts out content, if they're claiming it to be true, you got to go through a certain vetting process and you have to, you have to be, um, I don't know what the standards are you adhere to. I mean, obviously you're going to know, but it does seem like, yeah, like people have different perspectives and points of view that they put on it. But at the end of the day, at least you can trust, right. That they're, that what they're putting out is, is, is well-researched content. Mm-hmm. Right. But I feel like there's like, so like, it's almost like reality TV with some of these documentaries that are just insane stories and 
really aren't super relevant to, I guess they're not educational, right? They're not informative per se. You know, would you say that those are helping the documentary industry or would you say that it doesn't matter? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I have an opinion on that or not. I, I, good stories rise to the top. I mean, that's, that's what I think, you know? So yes, there's definitely silly stuff out there and stuff that's like, why, how did that ever get distributed? You know, but, um, no, I think good, good content rises. Um, so I think, you know, I don't think it hurts it. You know, people are, you know, in our world, it's talked about all the time, you know, niching down. You've got to niche down. You've got to create content for this specific niche. And a lot of people do that. You know, I just, I'm not necessarily there yet. I just try to do a good story, whatever that story is. And that's what I'm going to make. And whoever wants to watch it and feels that it's good, I don't really care about the niche. Um, that's where I'm at. To each his own. What about the monetization structure? Is it different when agency work? I'm assuming it's probably project based. Mm-hmm. You, you get your margin off that project. And on the documentary side, are you catching royalties and, and or any type of bonus structure based on how many people it reaches, how big it gets? We definitely do get royalties um, from the content that we make, and those are structured in different ways depending upon who the distributor is. So we've had relationships with you know PBS. We have a relationship with American Public Television. Uh, Netflix. We've dealt with Netflix. Um, so yeah, it kind of, it. everybody's different. And so you kind of have to go into, when you create a piece of content, you kind of need to have a little bit maybe of the, the end in mind. So you kind of know, you, you know, what the monetization structure might be going into that. So you kind of think about that on the front end, but it's all over the map. It's all over the map. So, so do do these companies come to you with a story that they want to turn into a documentary, or do they come to you and say, "Hey," or do you have a pitch for them and say, "Hey, here's this that I want to put into a documentary"? Like, how does that work? The stories that I've done up until this point, we have developed. So we have come up with the idea, we've developed the idea, or I've encountered the story and thought, "Wow." I mean, the the one the story that I did for on PBS uh, most recently, I wasn't looking for. Um, it was as a result of my father going on a, a trip to Europe and f- found out about the story and came back and said, Mike, you really need to look at this. And I've, the, this is an amazing story. And in my business, I hear that all the time, right? Oh, I've got a story for you, right? And I'm like, oh gosh, you know, not another story. But he said, no, this one's worth your time. And my dad says something all the, t- not all the time. My dad says something when he wants me to listen to him. He said, this is your father speaking. And that's my cue to, okay, I better listen. And uh, it, it absolutely was every bone in my body was glad that he made me listen to him and, and we did it. So that one I wasn't looking for, but as a director, when you encounter a story that grabs your heart and just, you know, in the depths of your soul that this needs made and you'll fight to the death for it. And that's what we did. So, you know, I think you have to you have to look at something two ways. You can look at something that's, okay, I can do something that is maybe more commercially viable that I may not have my heart in, or I can do something that I simply have my heart in as a storyteller and let it drive its course. And so we, we, we look at things both ways. But um, yeah, it's always interesting at the genesis of a project, how you, you know, how it comes to you and how you start one. So difference between a producer and a director, I told you I'd hit you with some silly ones. Is that is that a well-known thing? I've never had any idea. No, producer is somebody who's um, kind of in charge of all the the scheduling, the logistics. Um, the they usually um, hold the budget. 
Um, the executive producer is usually the money person, you know, the one who funded it. Uh, the executive producer hires a producer who is in, then in charge of that money. Um, and then the director is the one who actually is directing the actors and, you know, actually, you know, making it. The producer is on set with the director. But the difference is producer is in charge of the money, organizing the talent, creating the schedules, all that. Director is actually directing the talent and filming and, and making making the the documentary. So for a sports analogy, almost like a general manager and a head coach. Exactly. Or business back end versus producing the actual product and service. No, right. no, 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 no. I like my analogy well, better. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are a little bit more business. <laughs> um, so diving into looking over the course, I mean, you've had 11 Emmys, which is amazing. Like what, what sticks out to you the most? What have been your favorite experiences so far? And that's got to be a tremendously hard question and the five stone group has won 16 haven't you yeah we've won 16 as a company i've won 12 uh i and i i i gave you the bio and we need to update it on our website but yeah so so i'm blaming the outline right now (laughs) you want to talk about you want to talk about a poor director i'm pointing to mike i'm talking to mike right now no no mike minucci i'm talking about mike's here i steered you wrong but yeah what's crazy about that is like a year was it a year or two years ago that we first started trying to get this worked out. Mm-hmm. And at the time you only had eight and now 12. Yeah. So 50% increase in Emmys in that time. We were going to wait another year and then just see how many <laughs> popped up. I almost no showed this one. I think the thing to answer your question, the thing that I enjoy the most is not, I could, I could honestly care less about the awards. I, what I care about is the team, what we produced as a team, because in our business, there is no way that you're going to be able to produce anything without a team. And I love that. I love when all of us are doing our jobs and all of us are syncing together and there's synergy and we produce something great together. And I love when we win. I love that other people win. My job, I feel, is, is, to, is to empower and get out of their way. You know, pick the, put the best people I can on my team and give them everything they need to succeed and try to provide a little bit of guidance. And, and that's, that's what I love about what we do. It's like sports, you know, you win as a team. That's, that's what I love about it. So that's, that's my greatest joy um, is, to, is just to do something greater than I could have done on my own, do it as a team and we do something even greater. So that's what I love. Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. So one of the things that Mike and I talk about on here, and we talk about it, you know, when we're just talking one on one too, um, probably too much, but that that feeling that we chased in wrestling of doing something really difficult around a group of people and achieving something greater than yourself with those people and the sense of achievement and the rewarding feeling that they gave, at least for me personally, I've never been able to replicate it in any other aspect of life. And, you know, when we sit here and we talk to the people that we have on the show and uh, so many of them have achieved tremendous success in different areas of life. And I think about like, if I was in your shoes, you know, how rewarded would I feel? And when I hear you describe that, I can imagine like that has got to be tremendously rewarding. And then not only that, to sit back and watch other people 
either have their lives impacted or get great satisfaction from the product that you guys made together and have a rippling effect, it's got to be invaluable. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, 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 my wife and I, when we first started the company, I remember driving around 270. And she said, I, we were talking about what the vision for the company. We've always viewed the company as a vehicle to help other people and to empower others. It's not about me. I could care less about that. What I've so enjoyed is creating an atmosphere that is a place where people can feel creatively empowered, but that we can do something greater than ourselves. But then we also take, which we do, I don't know if you've talked with anybody from conscious capitalism here in Columbus at all, but one of the things that we do is we take a percentage of our profits and we give back to other people. So we've built wells in Africa. Uh, That's one of the things that we're doing right now. That to me is way more exciting than winning Emmys because that's like helping other people. Um, And if we can win awards, I mean, that's the whole meaning of our name. You know, everybody's asked, you know, what does the five stones mean? You know, and everybody asks that question. And I really believe that, you know, the five stones comes from the story of David and Goliath in the Bible. And, you know, David was a skilled marksman. I mean, he had to be. He was a shepherd. That's how he killed wild animals who were going to eat his sheep. So when David was asked to step onto the big stage and slay the giant, he wasn't afraid. He had been practicing for years, you know, and he was, he was skilled at what he did, but he was also a man of convictions. And so I thought, well, if we could create a company that we were really skilled at what we did, and when we were asked to deliver on a big stage, no problem. We just execute. And we created a company that we were men and women of conviction. And so I thought, man, if we could put those two things together, wouldn't that be cool? You know, and then it's not about us. It's about helping others and empowering others. And that that's our goal, you know? So that's, that's why we do what we do. What about experience in terms of travel? Any places that you've been to that really stick out in terms of traveling? Mike and I were talking about this before we started. I think of all the places that I, that are, is near and dear to my heart is Africa. I've been to Africa many times. It's such an amazing place on so many levels. I think the thing that I walk away with every time that I'm there is the areas that I've been, they don't have much, but they're so happy and joyous. And it impacts me every time that I go because I'm like, how can I bottle that up and bring it here? You know, not that people aren't joyous here at all, but they 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 just they value different things and and they're so welcoming and when you go there, they, they just want you in their homes and they want to love on you. And they want, it's such a community feeling there. You know, Americans are so, I think sometimes rugged individualism, right? That's how we're brought up to think, you know, it's the individual and Africa is not that way. Africa is very communal. And so you go there and you feel that and it's tangible, you know, and every time I go there, I'm, I'm so impacted by that. Of, of all the places that I've been in the world, that's probably my favorite. Where do you see the Five Stones group going in the next three to five years? Would you have, do you think out that far or, you know, is it, hey, we've got a ton of work right now. Let's just keep helping people as much as we can. You know, we're, interestingly enough, we're experiencing a season of, of growth um, right now, which is odd, COVID-19 and this whole thing. So right now I'm trying to figure out how to manage that growth well. You know, we've got some tremendous opportunities in the documentary space and the series space. Like I said, we're getting ready to pitch the the board game series to Amazon and Netflix and Apple, which could take us in a whole new direction. 
the corporate work that we're doing is increasing. We just had a meeting about it today. You know, how do we manage this growth well? I think I know pretty clearly where I'd like to see the company in three to five years. I'd like to still be this kind of small group of individuals if we can maintain that culture that still is nimble and agile and is able to serve our clients well. So we're not getting so big that we're not having that personal connection. Like I said earlier, there's projects that come to us that we say, no, that's that's just not right for us. And I'm, I try to be as honest as I can about that. Because what I don't want to do is overpromise and underdeliver. <laughs> um, that's never good. But I, I would see ourselves doing some definitely some series work in the documentary space. That's kind of where I'd like to go. Um, and I'd love to continue doing the agency work that we do. I mean, I have dear friends in the agency world and we do really good work and it's enjoyable work. So I think just trying to grow that, grow those two things and just see where those two things go is probably where we, we would be. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, look, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. One question I'm, I'm seeing about to pivot to the last question. I have something I'm curious about before we go there. In terms of somebody who's had as much success as you and your team has, all places you've traveled, what does work-life balance look like for you? I mean, assuming you, you're so caught in your passions that work probably doesn't feel quite like work, and that's me making an assumption, but is it weekends, evenings, nights, just constantly going, or do you have a time that you sit back and, and don't do stuff? No, we. I try I try my best to have that balance. In our business, it's, it's difficult. It's something you have to work at because it can eat you alive. And I think that I've been able to I think, for the most part, handle it well. I think there's definitely improvement that I can I can do. It pulls at you. And so I think putting the right people in place to handle things and kind of, I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is to stay in my lane. You know, as an entrepreneur, that's one of the most difficult things to do is you've got the entrepreneur side, you know, the vision side, right? You've got the the managerial side of the business, and then you've got the doing. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs get caught up in trying to do all three. And so the problem is, is they can only cap out at so much growth because there's only so much of you to go around. So you have to decide as an entrepreneur, where am I good at? Like, what what's my strength? And then figure out a way to kind of bring other people onto your team that are good at those other things. And then you can grow. Because we hit a cap in 2007 where it was honestly just me. And so I was like, why are we not growing? Why are we not growing? And I read a book called The E-Myth. And a lot of people have read that book. And that kind of rocked my world because it was like, oh, there's these three things and three functions and I'm doing all three and I can't grow any further. So I really had to figure out, okay, what am I willing to trust somebody to come in and do with me? And what what do I really want to do and what am I good at? And let me stay in that lane, you know? 
and then bring other people on that remind me to stay in my lane and try to grow. And then we, we began to experience growth again. So I think as an entrepreneur, that's, that's always the rub is, is that part of it. And that's hard to do, especially in our business. Cause ultimately a lot of the clients, who do they want? They want me, they want me sitting in the room. They want me, you know, so I have to be cautious about that. And to your question about the work-life balance, that that enters into the equation because there's going to be there's tons of things that are pulling on me, you know. And I have to sometimes say, I can't do such and such because I need to spend time with my kids. So it's it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. But I try to do pretty good at it, and I'm sure there's tons of improvement. But there is a lot of weekends and a lot of late nights at times. Well, we definitely know you're constantly on the go because this was this was super hard to get coordinated, and we can't say how much enough <laughs> we appreciate you sitting down with us because this, this has been awesome, and we want to make it happen for a while. And I know it's just not because of a lack of desire. I mean, we went through like a a four day text thread one time trying to make it happen. <laughs> I feel so bad about that. I I was like, these guys are not going to want me on the podcast, and it just it, my travel schedule is so sometimes erratic, you know. And I wanted to be able to commit and then keep the commitment. So. Thank you for being your patient with me. Well, you kept winning Emmys, so we kept you on. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, if you hadn't got to the 12th, I don't know. You know, we yeah, might have cut we, you at that point. We got point, standards but, here, you know. Right? <laughs> but no, Mike, it's been great. And, you know, I think that's a good place to head towards our last question of the show. Center around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think about when you hear it and how does it apply to your life and career? I think living uncomfortably for me is, it's kind of what I said earlier, is it's uncomfortable sometimes to not want to try to control everything, right? Because we're, all of us are control freaks. We all want control. It's uncomfortable to decide, okay, this is where my gifts stop and start and choosing wisely, allowing other people to come into your business and become a team and then win together. You know, for me, is a, it's a constant struggle. It is uncomfortable to give up control, you know, to be able to allow that to happen. But I think if you can be uncomfortable with doing that, it actually brings you peace and it actually brings you satisfaction because you're realizing that, wow, it's okay for me to live here and be this and then bring other people on the team that do the things I'm not good at. And then we win together. And you can do fantastic things. So that's that's how, how I would answer that question. Mike, that's a great answer. And again, thanks so much for joining us, telling your story. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. And uh, everybody out there listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike Edwards, founder of and owner of the Five Stones Group. If you want to hear more interviews like that, subscribe on whatever app you're listening on. And we'll talk to you next week. Oh.